0: I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, but this guy's right here. His name is Hurley. He's playing tambourine, you'll be shaker. That is Sean's son, who has decided he's going to start helping us out doing some things. And so, yeah. I keep telling you to smile more. He's smiling now since you're all talking about it. (laughs) Hey, I have one thing uh, before. It's actually two things because everybody keeps asking me what I do to my foot. So I'll answer that. Uh, I was in Paso Robles on Thursday night. It was 9 o'clock. This guy pulls in his trailer across from us. My friend Paul goes over to help him. I'm like, oh, help. So I go running over too. And there is, you know, I, I'm the one. It's just that's how it starts. That's, that's an Aaron story. I'll help. And then I hurt myself. Uh, so there's a, the slab that they're pulling onto. And then the ground was here. And so I went. It's dark. I can't see. And I stepped right there between the two. And I rolled my foot. And the older you are, the longer that takes. I'll be like three years later, I'll be like, remember that time three years ago, I rolled my foot, still hurts. Anyway, that's my life. Uh, But anyway, so I do have a little apology. I don't know if it's an apology or not. uh, Last week, apparently in uh, first and second, I said something about the live stream, and it could be misconstrued to say that I have something against someone watching the live stream. I don't. We talked about trials last week and every decision that we make. And I talked about, you know, people staying home during the live stream because they have health issues and stuff like that, and that's fine. Uh, some people are, are just a little lazy, and then and then that can be misconstrued, being like, I don't want you to watch. We do. We want people to watch online if, if you are so inclined, and we really appreciate you being there. I did not mean in any way to make it sound like we didn't want you to. Hi. Okay. <laughs> it's my apology. I, I'm a horrible apologizer. Just ask my wife. Um, but. Anyway, if you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables. They look like this. And on the inside on the left, you're going to get a half-sheet summation of what we talk about this morning. On the right-hand side, what you're going to get is questions to reflect on what we talk about today. On the back, you're going to get the verses we're going to go through today. Underneath that, there's a question that says, this week I can apply this lesson to my life in these ways. And then underneath that, there's a place for notes. So you have all of that. If you have a smart device, though, you can download an app, it is called UVersion and looks just like Bible when you download it. You click on More and then Events. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, and announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is James 1, 16 to 18 it says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us what it means to understand the great gifts we have received and the, and the firstfruits as a promise of more and more to come. God, that we would trust you for each step of our lives when things get hard and we walk through the trials like James has been speaking about. We would constantly come back to remembering your good gifts first given to us in the midst of that. And we would walk through the trials trusting and honoring you through everything. Amen. Have a seat. So we are going through the New Testament book of James. Uh, It's one of the earliest, if not the earliest, New Testament book written. And throughout the last four weeks, James has been talking about trials and tests and temptations and all these things that come into our lives. And this is week five, and he's going to kind of start to turn the corner a bit But maybe not in a way that you see coming. What we see in the Bible is that our world is not a sterile, it's not a safe place. It can be a hard place many times. Uh, Last yesterday, my dog got really sick. If you know me and my dog, my dog's my buddy, and she's really sick right now. She can barely stand up, and I don't know what's going to happen. Trials, you know, uh, people, people's animals get sick, uh, people die, people betray one another. There's all kinds of horrible things that take place, and people grow weary and lose heart. And we have to understand that, yes, God is sovereign, but none of those things people do to one another is God's fault that God is good and we are the ones who do this to one another. The blame for our sin lies solely upon our own shoulders. Our first parents bring sin into the world and we just continue to perpetuate that over and over as we focus on ourselves. It's like I told you last week, N.T. Wright said, if you are true to yourself, you will end up a complete mess. Because our lives, when they're focused on us, tend to be a complete mess. And so James walks us through all these trials of all these different kinds that in the end, if we trust God through them, we will grow in wisdom and we can see more of who God is through it. So by the grace of God, I think there are a lot of people today who will endure the things that come into this world where our hearts and lives will be strengthened by God himself. And James will say when we focus on who he is, we become a steadfast people, a solid people, a sure people, and that we will have a joy that can transcend some of the worst circumstances imaginable. When we read some of the stories in the Bible, I think that when you become an adult and you have some maturity, you see them a little bit differently. Like little kids, they love stories like David and Goliath, right? And the, and the little kid slays the giant. Woohoo! that's awesome. Or Daniel in the lion's den, and God shuts the mouths of the lions, and Daniel comes out there and says, oh, that's a great story. I think when you're an adult, And you start seeing those stories, you realize you can see yourself in some of that. Like maybe you have a Goliath in your life that's a trial and you go through it and God brings you through the other side. But as an adult, you realize you don't walk through unscathed. It's like maybe you walk with a limp or maybe you've been in the lion's den and all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. You make it out the other side by the grace of God, but maybe now you only have one arm. You know, it's like you come out the other side, and it's like I've grown, and I know so much more than I did going in, but yeah, I didn't come through unscathed, and yet I still see how God is good through all of that, and this is why James says, you count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, that we can have a joy that James speaks about. But it goes hand in hand, looking to God, trusting his wisdom, and that brings about that future joy. So how is this possible? Well, there's two things. Number one, as a Christian, if you follow Christ, we view trials as a pathway to maturity, that God brings us to maturity by those trials. James chapter 1, verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God allows things in our life that helps us to see us. Do we really believe what we say we believe? In our lives, typically growth and maturity does not come when times are easy. We just kind of skate through and drift when times are easy. It's when times are bad that we focus more upon who God is. And so we learn sometimes in our lives that there are certain things we thought we were so right about, and then we realized we were so wrong about that, and that brings about a humility and it brings about a faith and a trust in God. God doesn't sprinkle us with pixie dust like when Peter Pan grabs Tinkerbells, like sprinkles everybody, and they all float off in Never Neverland. God doesn't do that. God walks us through some very hard places. Uh, A.W. Tozer has this great analogy. I actually put it in your notes if you have them. It's kind of long, but, uh, but I thought it was great. He says this, the fallow or the unplanted, the un the fallow, field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. And that's when they come through and they break up and dis the ground. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment, but it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it see the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow see this is the understanding that a lot of times we want our lives to be safe and smooth and to just lay there with nothing touching us but we never grow No seeds get planted in that type of ground. So he goes on and he says, in direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow comes as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up in the daylight, its miracle of life curious exploring the new world above it all over the field the hand of god is at work in the age old ever renewed service of creation new things are born to grow mature and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground it is that only when our lives are broken up are these seeds planted And then we actually begin to grow and new things sprout to life. And so we see that as Christians, we want to view our trials as pathways to maturity. And then secondly, trials help us to be consciously aware of our need for God consciously aware of when you for God, because when everything goes great, many times our hearts and our minds are not turned towards God, and we all have seasons in our lives. Sometimes it's daylight outside, and it's, oh, it's great, then we have a season where there's clouds on the horizon, and that's not so great, and then we're in the middle of a storm, and it's just dark and, and terrible, and what do you do? Well, in the middle of a storm, if you have a flashlight, you can see the path so much better. In the middle of the daylight, if you have a flashlight, you don't even see the light in the flashlight, but at night you do, and many times when things are difficult. when we feel like we are in the nighttime is when we see God's light shine so much more brightly and so much more clearly. And this is what James is saying saying to us, that all of our trials are gonna lead us to maturity and they help us to be consciously aware of who God is in the midst of that. Because in the end, the only person we need is really God himself. I think James is very realistic about all the stuff that we go through. I think he's very practical about it. because He's a pastor, and he deals with people. And if you deal with people, you know, over the course of time, everybody comes and talks to you about all the stuff going on in their lives. And hopefully people listen to what James says in that, but he gets to see what real life is like. There are a lot of people who have occupations like this. I think nurses and and doctors and counselors and policemen, they all have people that come and talk to them about things in their lives. And even if something's not going too bad for you, you'll start to realize a lot of people's lives stink. They're they're not the greatest. Even if yours isn't going too badly, you see other people's lives who are falling apart and going through trials. And James says all those trials and troubles, they're inevitable. They are just inevitable. Some of those trials are self-induced and some are not. And so James says, be strong. See who God is as you walk through that. That trial is going to make you stronger. We must deal with it properly, meaning we look at the trials we go through, trusting God with discipline and self-control and faith. And then where does the strength to do this come from? Obviously, through the Spirit of God, but James is going to walk us into something new today of how we have strength to walk through this stuff. So open your Bibles to James chapter 1. It's on page 654 if you have an element Bible. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us really want to be strong when trials come. I don't think we want to fall apart when terrible things happen. And so James kind of goes to this motivation for us. So James 1, 16 through 18, again, says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." So James is kind of saying there's almost no way we could ever suck this up on our own and walk through the hard things in life. So we must look at everything that comes into our life as a gift from God that can lead us towards joy. And there are gifts, James says, that God gives us every single day. And to have a proper motivation for glorifying God through it all, we walk through whatever good or bad that comes our way focused on the gospel, on what God has done to rescue us. This understanding gives us the ability to live a life glorifying God because of the gifts that He has given us where we grow in grace. We can live in joy no matter the circumstance. We turn our eyes to the nature and the glory of God. And this is why James says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled, especially in the midst of trial. Because in the midst of trial, your flesh is going to incite you to think that God is not as good as he is. You'll say, look at that over there. I don't understand this. I don't like that. God cannot actually be that good. You will most likely in your life when you do that start to wrestle with comparison and doubt. But James says, don't be deceived. Why? Because you may not notice it yet, but every single good thing that has ever come into your life has come from God himself. That's where it's come from. And if you look at that and you see what he has done, it will start to change our perspective on the goodness of God. Our life will grow in grace when we see what he has done. So I'm going to talk to you about two things today. Uh, One is called common grace and one is called saving grace. And common grace is all the good gifts that God gives to everybody. I'm going to look at this in a very practical and mundane way. Okay, so all of you here, how many of you have ever been sick and stuck in bed for a day or two or you got to COVID, right? Matt, couple months, right? <laughs> right? Okay. So how many of you then had the strength when you got back up again and you got out of bed and you ended up in a room like this and you walked, your- Matt, so, and, yeah? Yeah? Everybody else was just Matt. Or- yeah. Okay, we all get right. Physical strength, getting back up, that is a gift from God that has come down from the Father of lights. How many of you are going to eat today at some point? Okay, there you go. Do you know that you will eat in a way that, that probably 50% of our world will not? And that is a gift from God. You, when you get hungry, you say, what do I want to eat? And you go and you throw it in the crock pot, the oven, you go wherever you go, not Starbucks, and you, and you go when you get it. I mean, that is unheard of in the history of the world. Your food is a gift from God that has come down from the Father of lights. Do you have any friends? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Do I? Have any yeah. As weird as they are, as weird as they are, that whole idea of community is a gift from God that comes down from the Father of Lights. Uh, if you are married, husbands and wives, that's a gift from God, from the Father of Lights. And I know some of you guys are like, "Have you met my spouse?" And I always think, "You married them, and have you met you?" I mean, come on. Come on now, came down from the Father of Lights. And right now, you may be going through something hard, and it is just your pathway to maturity, and God is doing things there. But we consciously need to know that gifts come from God. And if you are single, there are married people would be like, That is a gift from God. They're, your your life is wide open in front of you with all kinds of open choices. That is a gift from God. Comes down from the Father of Lights. Do you have money in your pocket? Could you go and buy a, a cup of coffee or oh no, a, a gumball? Could you that is a gift from God from the Father of lights? Can you see? Can you smell? Can you hear? That's a gift from the Father of lights. I have a friend who has no sense of smell, and I always think that is a gift from God. I'm down with the Father of Lights. Guys, Everything, everything in our lives. In Christianity, what we do is we call this common grace. Now, you cannot confuse common grace with saving grace because they're different. But this is something that James is showing us. And sometimes I'm crass about this. I heard someone talk about it. And so I just sometimes say it like this, that everything that is not hell is common grace. Everything. You may be like, I'm in school and I don't like my teachers and my classes are hard and I'm not doing well. Well, you know what? It's better than hell. It is. I got a job, and I don't like the place that I work, and my boss is mean, and they don't pay me, blah, blah, blah. You know what? It's better than hell. It is common grace. You know that I don't like certain types of music, right? I don't like the country music. You know, you guys keep trying to, have you heard this country band? This one's better than what you heard before. And I'm like, it sounds like the last band. The only, there's a couple country songs I don't mind, but they sound like rock and roll. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, and then uh, boy bands. I don't like boys bands. But you know what? Better than hell. It's better than hell. Maybe not much. It's better than hell. Some people go to the doctor when they get older, and the doctor says, You've got to eat healthy. You can't eat hamburgers anymore. It's like, I can't eat it. It's better than hell. It is better than hell. Everything not hell is common grace. Why do believers and non believers get to enter into relationships with one another? It is common grace. Why do we get to make money and steward money? It is common grace. And I know some religious people look around and say, Yeah, but they don't deserve it because they're not living rightly. Well, I'll tell you what, neither do we neither do we. Our God is gracious and good to all, common grace. When it rains in California, which is very few and far between, but when it rains, it waters my lawn and it saves me money. And my neighbor, who may not even know who God is, it still saves them money as well. It is common grace. And then when the rain is gone and the sun comes out, believers and non-believers both get to go outside and they get the free vitamin D from the sun. It is Common grace. And then maybe the sun's out and it's warm enough, so you go to the beach. Believers and non-believers get to go to the beach. It is common grace. You get burned or tanned. Burned. But it's common grace. The sun is out, you go, you go bike rides and you pick berries at the Mahoney's place. It common grace. Believers and unbelievers both get that. Acts 14, 17, it says that God provides food for everyone. My favorite Chinese food is made by this restaurant called North China. Why do they make the food so good at North China? Common grace. Common grace. You have learning. We get to figure out science and progress and technology. It is common grace. Believers and unbelievers get that. Women give birth. You get an epidural for believers and non-believers. I had a C-section. Better than hell. OK? Common grace. Oh, I have the allergies, and the allergy medication makes me sleepy. Better than hell, okay? I get migraines sometimes, and I have to decide, am I going to take the medicine? Because sometimes the medicine hurts worse than the migraine because it feels like my face is in a vice. And i got to decide, but you know what? Still better than hell. If you work inside and you get thirsty, you don't go, oh, where am I going to go dig a well? You walk over, and you turn on a tap, and you get some water. Even if it's Santa Maria tap water, it's still better than hell. It is common grace. All advancements are common grace. God has given some people brains to do a lot that helps out society. Many advancements are made by by non-Christians. Now, I know some Christians who sometimes say, I only want to do Christian things. I won't do non-Christian things. And I always think, like what, wear pants and brush your teeth? I mean, what what does that even mean? Common grace means God has given people minds to figure certain things out. Like if a mechanic is good with a car and he doesn't believe in Jesus yet, it doesn't mean he's not a good mechanic. What does James say? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I like guitars. I got a lot of them. Les Pauls are my favorite. Did Les Paul love Jesus? I don't know. How do you make a good guitar? Common grace. Movies. A lot of people like movies. We had this whole discussion this morning about what's, what can be considered a Marvel movie and not. We said the Eternals out of the canon. That's all we're saying if people watched it. But anyway, Marvel, DC, Star Trek, Star Wars, doesn't matter. Common grace. Common grace. Even if the theater you go watch the movie in, if you still go to the theater to watch a movie, even if the theater you go watch in is owned by a non-Christian and the girl that made your popcorn is more interested in her last text message than how much butter you got, still common grace. Still better than hell. Whew. Okay. Are you following with me? Yeah. Guys, everything God gives. And so often we look at God and think he's not that good because we focus on these little minute things rather than seeing everything that he has given us. And so what James is going to do is move us to a place of saving grace because so often is that God has been so good to so many people and only a few look back and thank him for that goodness. And when we do, this only sporadically. We are spoiled kids who get gifts every day from our great God and we cease to realize that we get sunrise and sunsets and beds to sleep in and breakfast and flowers that make the air smell better and the weather today, it warms up, it's going to be amazing and food and cars and bikes and TVs and air debris and toilets that flush. How about that? My wife watches all these old like renaissance shows and I'm like, I would hate to live then because I don't want to go in a bucket. I just, I, it just toilets up. It's, it's amazing. It's gift and grace from God. If you're sick, you go to the doctor. You get the internet. You have a phone. You can pick up and talk to anybody almost anywhere in the world instantly. How about that? Every day we open presents from a God who loves us. And we so often never stop, stop to think, thank you, God, for all of this. We don't. All we want to do is sit back and go, I don't understand that thing. I don't understand that. So therefore God can't be good and we stop looking at all the good things He has given us every day. All the things that come into our life are meant to remind us of who God is, everything. Okay, so then James moves on. Again, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures." This brings that into the realm of saving grace. Saving grace is what God does to restore us to relationship to himself in the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God restores us to himself by a work that he himself does. We have faith and trust in Christ, but God is the one who restores us. And James tells you there is no variation or change in God himself meaning that God knew what he was doing on the cross when he decided to rescue and save us. When Jesus purchased us with his blood, he knew what he was buying. He knows what he's getting with us. He's not changing his mind. He doesn't watch you mess up and go, oh, what's the return policy on that one? Can I get my blood money back for that? I don't want that guy anymore. He doesn't do that. We so often in our lives mess up so many things, even in trials. And Jesus never once says, how do I send that one back? He knew all of our failings. He knew of our shortcomings before saving us. And he has imparted to us a present and a future grace. And if you go through some trial and you just just totally Charlie Brown it, you mess it up in the middle of it, and you're just disgusted by how you fell in the midst of this trial, you have to understand that all the disgust that God had for your sin was laid on Jesus at the cross there of his own will he brought us forth how do we grow and mature doing trials and failures and pain we understand yes common grace all the gifts God has given us but the deeper gift of saving grace because of what Christ did for us at the cross we place our faith and our trust in who He is. Why can we have joy? Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that we walk around, I'm oh, great, I have no condemnation, I can do whatever I want. It moves us to a place to love God for His grace that He has given us. Our debt before God because of our sin was paid in full by Christ. Which means we have to get over ourselves. If you think you are so great or so terrible, you got to get over yourself and look to the cross that's what he says all that was due for all the places that we have fallen short in our entire life whether it's disgusting or terrible or trivial has all been handled by Jesus with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change again he does not look at us and say man I wish I didn't purchase that guy with my blood he does not do that verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures What is happening in the text, it says, of his own will. He calls us. He brings us. And it's a work that God continues to do. In Christianity, we have this big word. It's called sanctification. And what it really means is salvation in present time. And that God takes us where we are. You don't get cleaned up to go and meet Christ. We come exactly as we are. But God doesn't leave us as we are. He starts to change us and move us. And many times that's through trials as he conforms us to the image and likeness of his son. But it's a work that he himself does. Imagine it like this. Um, The week I was writing this message, I had a friend of mine who was diagnosed with cancer. And they were talking about this, and the doctors didn't know if it was benign or if it was malignant at that point, but it was in a spot they could get. So they're going to go in and strap him down and cut him open and and take this out with all the margins that are in it. But just imagine that, right? Someone's going to strap you down and cut you open and take something out of you. If that was a child... A child wouldn't understand what's going on there. A child would be like, please don't hurt me. Please don't cut me. And yet that would be the only way to save them. And so often in our lives, we're like children. God is bringing something into our lives to grow us, and we don't understand it. And we just sit there saying, God, please don't do this. You know, why does this hurt so much? And God does certain things in our lives or allows certain things because he loves us. As God cuts away our callous hearts of stone and He gives us a heart of flesh that is loving. This is why I told you a couple weeks ago, trials can be seen as grace from God. Sometimes the only way to get or to be healthy is to have the cancer cut out of us. And this is why through all the pain, it's important to remember every good and every perfect gift is from above. The only way we walk through in our lives with the motivation of to love and serve God is understanding God's motivation first for us as a people. This is why we say we love because God first loved us. We bless because God has first blessed us. We give because God has first given to us. This is the point. Uh, Dr. Rick Rigsby, I know, what a name, right, Rick Rigsby? But he's a longtime professor at Texas A&M University. He's an expert on civil rights and the history of the black church. And he actually points out that early on in the black church, they obviously weren't well-educated because people did not educate their their slaves. But then when slavery ended because of all the prejudice that was there, uh, you know, where a lot of whites would have great education, a lot of blacks did not. And he said how the black church endured all the oppression that they went through in slavery and still trusted God through it all is that they would grab a hold of certain central truths And they would remind each other of them. What he writes is this. He goes, there wasn't a lot of depth, but there was a lot of rhythm. And this is why you still get some of those songs that still come through. And they would come together over a truth. And they would say, Jesus suffered like we have suffered. He died for our sins. And we, even in our condition, still have sins. And God loves us. And we are made in his image. Even if nobody else thinks that we are. We were made in the image of God, and they rallied behind those central truths for decades when they were illiterate and had no exegetical skills and no understanding of biblical theology at a high level, but they knew Christ. And Rick Rigsby said they would get together and they would say, if God is for us, who could be against us? If God is for us, justice will come. If God is for us, this will be okay. If God is for us, we'll make it through. If God is for us, we will endure. And they would gather, and they would sing, sometimes quietly, sometimes loudly, and they'd recite this to one another and proclaim, God is for us, over and over. And this is what James says, trials are going to come. You consider it joy because God is good, and He is for you. He is for us. James is not saying, and I'm not saying, that whatever trial you're going through is not terrible and excruciating, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, you have never once been betrayed by God Himself, ever, a little over a decade ago, a guy named Matt Chandler was diagnosed with brain cancer. And in the midst of all that, he wrote this statement. I thought it was really good. He said this, I would argue that if you, if you are in him, if you are a believer in Christ, there is the removing of something that might hurt you for the gift of something that will bring nothing but ever-increasing joy. And that's not a bad trade. It might be a painful one, but it's not a bad one. See, the question is, what in our lives is going to last? What is permanent? And I will tell you, it is not your trial." It is not. The permanence is who Christ is. God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is for us. It's why every week at Element, we open the scriptures and we talk about the Bible because yes, when we talk about the word of God, it is the scriptures, but it's also the words that God's spirit speaks over us because when God speaks, things happen in us, things happen to us. God's spirit, the gospel, the scriptures are like scalpels that come and God is cutting us and removing all the places that are so calloused so that we can feel and hear God move and we be alive again it's like medicine that goes down deep and it may not taste great going down but it starts to change inside our inner motivation so we become a different people and this is why James says this trials whenever they come can lead us to places of joy because we realize in wisdom that God is doing a work in our lives. All of this comes together in what James has said so far. No matter the circumstance you are in, whether you're rich and famous and tons of houses and cars and money or you're going through a terrible divorce and you lost everything and you're living in a box, we must learn to look at the world upside down. We cannot allow our imagination to be drawn into places where we think God is not as good as God actually is. We must recognize what is happening when we are in the midst of our trials. There's this snare that we so easily fall into. We start to think that God is not as good as he is. And James is reminding us is there are so many things. If we had to sit here and we thank God for every little thing he gave us, we would never do anything. We'd be like, oh, thank you, oh, and thank you, oh, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you. It would just be constant if we would recognize all the good gifts that God has given us. This is why James says, when we see what God has done, it moves us towards the crown of life because it makes us a humble people. James grounds his teaching in what is true about God himself, that God is the generous giver. He is the father of lights. Everything that truly lights up the world is a gift from him. Uh, Tim Keller said this, the sun, the moon, and the stars all come and go when they're shining, but God's light is constant because it is. Uh, James kind of rounds this out, giving an illustration from how he is raised. In, In Jewish households, you would have this thing called the Feast of Firstfruits. And every year when the harvest came in, you would go and you would take the first part of that harvest. This is why he says we are a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So you take that first part of the harvest, you would go to the temple, and you would thank God for what he has done, because this is an offering and a sign that there is more to come. And one day, God's word will transform all of creation filling heaven and earth with this rich, wonderful light and life. Our lives are going to be completely transformed by the gospel as we fully see the world differently, where we can actually stand firm against trials and temptation. And right now, and what God is doing, is just the start of that large, larger project. We are the kind of first fruits to see what God is truly doing in the world, how God brings about His reconciliation and redemption and His restoration, that God is doing an amazing work. So often we don't see it. So often we don't. And this is why we look at all the good gifts that God has ever given us because he is good. He is good. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I see Sean doing this like he's ready. (laughs) Guys, today, one of the things I want to remind you of with whatever you are going through is the understanding that God is good. And you may not be able to see it that clear in the midst of what you're going through. But he is. And this is why we come to communion every week. Because communion is a reminder of God's great grace that is given to us. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> of God's great grace given to us. That's why you break the cracker. It's a reminder of Christ's body which was broken for us. That's why we break it. You drink the grape juice as a reminder of Christ's blood that was shed for us. Because our body, our blood could not pay for our sin. What separated us from God and one another. But Jesus does that as a gift. And that is a gift of grace. Come down from the Father of lights. God deemed to save us as a people. God deemed to draw us back to himself. God did the work to make it all possible. And that is saving grace. And we take communion. It's a reminder of God's great love for us in this moment of that saving grace. And if you need prayer today, maybe you are going through something and you want to talk about it, or maybe you've lived your life understanding, thought everything was common grace, you never understood saving grace, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. She'll connect you with one of us. We'd love to be able to talk to you about what that means. Our our God is good. Our God is good, and he has given so many good things to us. And this is one of the reasons that Element we have offering boxes next to all the walls. We are generous people who want to be generous givers because our God has been generous to us. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has first done for us. And grab those sermon notes and take those questions and talk to one another through those questions that are in there. And keep coming back and reminding one another of the goodness of God in the midst of the trials that people go through. It is not easy, but yet we could be those who can remind one another of all of the great gifts that God constantly brings into our lives. Because that will bring about a motivation to continue to trust God in the midst of the hard places where we do not understand everything. But God does. God does. And like I said, your trial is not permanent, but the grace of God is. And so let's be a people who live and walk in the grace that God provides. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand your great grace that you are for us. That there is salvation and restoration that is found in you. And that when we begin to understand that great truth, we would not just turn that truth inward and make it all about ourselves, but we start to turn that truth outward of how we can encourage one another, how we begin to love like you first loved us. That the restoration that we have received, that we would go and seek out restoration with others because of what you've done. God, have us be this, joy-filled people even in the midst of struggle and hardship and pain because we understand the great hope and restoration that comes first from you, that we would understand the depth of redemption, that we would understand that the gospel is what goes on forever, that our pain has an end, that trials have an end, but our joy in you does not. And you are the one who can constantly brings us back to yourself. So teach us to be those who love and worship you because we see you as the great giver of all. Amen. Now, as the curtains close, I just want you to take a few moments and think about this. You know, What are the good gifts that God has placed into your life right now? You know, what, what are the things that maybe you don't even notice at this point That God has done. And take a few moments just to think about that. All the good things that God has kind of placed directly in front of you. You know, when we we say this thing that that God is for us or God is on our side, it doesn't mean that God agrees with all of our crazy ideas about everything. It means that God has stepped over to the place where we are because we can never step to him. And so when God is on our side, it means that God has come to our side to take us and bring us back to his side. To bring us to himself. And that is grace. So think about that. The salvation that we have been given, the the great gifts that we get every single day, and then come to a place and and take communion. And then worship with us in a couple songs. And allow God to continue to move your heart and mind back to himself. And as we walk out of these walls, let's be a people who live outside of these walls. The, The grace that we understand in moments like this, Like, yeah, I need to remember all that God has done. Yeah, let's be those people who remember that all the time out in the world around us. Because then maybe we wouldn't be so irritated all the time at everybody. Roundabouts. You know, just (laughs) maybe, right? Because we remember that every good gift comes from God himself. And we worship him because of that fact.